0: Support for the Trailblazers.fm podcast comes from the Campaign for Black Male Achievement, a national membership network that reminds us there's no cavalry coming to save the day in our communities. We are the iconic leaders we've been waiting for, the curators of the change we're seeking to see. To learn more about the groundbreaking work of the Campaign for Black Male Achievement, visit tbpod.com slash
1: You're listening to the Trailblazers podcast, where we will explore the stories of successful black professionals. Join us as we highlight the knowledge, resources, and tools of these accomplished trailblazers to help provide the know-how, confidence, and motivation you need to blaze your trail. And now, here's your host, Stephen Hart.
0: What's up Blazination? Listen up our featured guest today is Karen Millsap. Karen is also known as the grief consultant and I really want you guys to tune in right now. I really think this is a great episode for us all for this podcast and for Blazination. Here's why. Karen began her career in HR and talent acquisition but at a young age she suddenly became a widow when her husband tragically died, which completely changed things for her and the trajectory of her life. And after experiencing several other losses, she became aware of the overall lack of support in our society around helping others who are grieving. We're all connected through our struggles from death to life-altering illnesses, divorce, even losing our job, right? And this realization is what ignited Karen's desire to turn her pain into purpose and pay it forward to begin helping others. And so today she's CEO, which she terms Chief Empathy Officer of Agency and helps organizations create a more human-centric culture with compassion and empathy. And if this is your first time listening and checking out TB Pod, listen up. I just want to say big ups before we get into this episode. I really appreciate you spending a little bit of time with us today to hear this conversation with Karen and I. But if this is your 118th time listening and you're a veteran, you know you're a diehard, right? (laughs) And I appreciate you. But let's go ahead and show our new listeners how we do it here on Trailblazers. I want you to jump over on Twitter or Facebook or the Gram Tag us up at Pod and share this episode out. Tag somebody you think that this episode would impact most. Listen up, let's not wait any longer. I don't want to linger today. Let's get set to receive today's mission fuel from our featured trailblazer, Karen Millsap. Hope you enjoy. Karen, welcome and thank you so much for coming on Trailblazers tonight.
1: Thank you for having me. I already told you offline. It's past my bedtime, but I'm excited. (laughs) I'm really excited to be here.
0: (laughs) Laser Nation knows that I love to record these episodes late at night. But, you know, as I was preparing for this call, as you might know, I'm a brand strategist and a marketer. And Karen, I love when I see people who do social media in a way that inspires me and I love your IG profile. It does that for me as a brand guy, as a Christian, as a parent, (laughs) always find that I'm encouraged when I see your posts. And I bring this up because from reading some of your posts, I know, or at least I imagine that you're a woman who lives in a constant state of gratitude. Hope I'm right in saying that. But, and it brings me to this. What are you most grateful for in your life right now?
1: You know, it's going to sound, it may sound silly, but I'm grateful for everything. I really, truly am. You know, I was thinking so much the other night and I couldn't stop my brain from thinking about my one of many to-do lists. And I just stopped myself and I said, you know, Lord, thank you for this pillow. Thank you for this roof over my head. Thank you that my son is in good health. I mean, I will do that often. And it really helps me to just get centered and remain present. Um, even when I'm walking to my car, I'll just take a deep breath and say, thank you, God, for clean air. You know, thank you for safety and the freedom that I have in this country that I can walk to my car in peace. So I'm really just grateful for every little thing. <laughs> wow.
0: So I'm right in that respect. <laughs> yes,
1: you are. And I'm glad that it translates because some yes. people may like be an overkill of one thing or the other, but I'm just myself. And so and thank you for actually saying that, you know, it does give the message that I'm hoping it's spreading.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. So, you know, as much as I sort of know a little bit about you, right, we've known each other for about a year and a half now. There's still a lot I don't know. So, you know, we met through a mutual friend, Charlene. hmm and together with Dr. Shah and Melissa Powell, you're part of this trio of podcast hosts of a podcast called Invest Human. That's
1: right. I also know that
0: you live in Orlando, mm-hmm. which isn't too far from where I lived in Tampa for about 12 years. I, I just discovered that you did undergrad at George Mason. Yes,
1: from the DMD area. That's, <laughs> that's crazy. <You're laughs>
0: yes. That's not too far from where I live now. I live right. in Montgomery Ma- County, Maryland. And lastly, I know that you're an amazing mommy. But, you know, I'm not quite sure I know where you grew up.
1: Well, that's because I grew up all over. I was an Air Force kid. Were you? Yeah, so I actually was born right over there in Montgomery County at Andrews Air Force Base. But then we moved to Illinois. You? And then I lived in Japan for five years. We lived in St. Louis, Delaware. And so it's hard to call one place home. But I say this, my family is from Philadelphia. So I call Philadelphia home. I went to school at George Mason, which, you know, is in the D.C. area. So D.C. was like my stomping grounds. But... Honestly, Florida, I just feel like it's where my heart was always drawn. So I do like to say maybe I'm a global citizen (laughs) because I just find comfort everywhere.
0: (laughs) Tell me something interesting about growing up as a military kid.
1: I think that it helped me to adapt well to change, which is funny, because now that's the story of my life. And I really don't understand how I was so prepared to deal with such crazy hardships at such a young age, you know, being in my 20s and 30s, and just going through different tragedy. And so But now I can actually look back and say, well, Karen, you've been dealing with change your whole life, right? We had to pick up and move every three or four years. And I love that. I thought that was part of the adventure. Mm -hmm. So that's what I, I think actually made such a big impression on my personality and character even.
0: Wow. So what was the big goal for young Karen back then? Was HR any part of the dream?
1: (laughs) No. (laughs) So a funny story. My mom tells this to people all the time. When I was in maybe preschool or kindergarten, we were doing the song Itsy Bitsy Spider. And I was trying to help this girl who was shy. And my teacher said, Karen is such a leader. You know, she can get anybody together. So I never really had something one profession in my mind, I just knew that I was a born leader, you know, it was just it was innate for me. So then I fell into recruiting. And when I fell into recruiting, I recognized that I really enjoyed that niche of HR, you know, helping people and helping the organization. I learned a lot of organization and planning skills from my father, you know, being in the military, there was a lot of order just in our environments. So I felt like being connected to people and helping to create those environments and those, you know, small ecosystems of organization is just where I was able to thrive. And people always ask me because now I'm not in HR, you know, they I always said, well, when I was coming up and doing recruiting and different processes and change management, they would say, well, what's next? And And you always have to have this five or 10 year plan. And I knew that I didn't want to be like an HR VP or a recruiting director. I never saw that in my future. And I feel like that block was for a reason, because I wasn't always going to be there. I just needed those people skills and those organizational skills, which also combined with my innate abilities has helped me to really flourish as an entrepreneur.
0: It's amazing, right?
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) So fast forward here, you know, you, unfortunately, your life at a later point takes a tragic and extremely unexpected turn. Your husband, Richard, was killed at a gym he owned, right? Mm -hmm. As I was sharing with you, you know, previously, I've never lost someone like this, but I've had a very close friend, now family. And a past business partner who lost his mom in a somewhat similar way. And I know how difficult that measure of grief was for him and his family and the continuity of it, you know, past that point, you know, that time. And as I I reflected on everything as I was preparing for this call, trying to process kind of your place at, I believe you're you aren't yet 30. You're a widow, a mom of a young toddler absolutely just mind-blowing to me to try and process how you got through that period. And, you know, I was watching your TEDx and you talk of the experience of of experiencing pain all throughout your body. Mm-hmm. Karen, kind of was wondering how you describe to others the personal challenges and struggles that you experienced following Richard's death. I'm thinking of what actually happens when someone experiences that kind of grief. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I don't think It's something that you can really explain. It's only something that can be experienced because I had people who were around me and they wanted to show support and they wanted to show love and they wanted to be there for me. And I just couldn't put into, I remember not being able to put into words how I was feeling. There were so many different emotions from, you know, confusion and frustration, of course, anger, sadness, but it actually, I feel like grief creates a ripple effect in our lives mm. and it's really up to us how we're going to manage it and how that ripple effect impacts the rest of our life. Now, There's nothing you can do about all the yucky emotions that come right away because there's just so much pain in grief. And there's also pain that's associated to the way that the person died. You know, Mm -hmm. if it's sudden or if it's tragic, like with my husband who was murdered, you know, if there were unanswered questions, if you all were going through something, there are so many other complexities that can add to your grief. But just the basic feeling of loss. I'll tell you that what I realized as I started to go down this journey afterwards was that grief doesn't just come as the result of a death. As a matter of fact, that's the biggest myth about grief because it can come from divorce or job loss. And so early on, it wasn't that I was just grieving the loss of my husband. I was grieving the loss of the plans we had for the future. Right. We were trying to have kids at that time. And I had to realize that I will never have more children with him. I ended up losing my car. I ended up losing my house and my job and all of these things and even relationships with people. So it was it really just felt like I was drowning felt like I couldn't catch my breath. It was one thing after another after another. But what helped me, and I think that this is kind of the differentiating factor for how grief will impact someone's life is you can choose if you're going to grow through all that pain, or if you're just going to suffer. And for me, I can honestly say, Stephen, that I see how people can give up and decide to take their own life. Mm -hmm. The pain can be so unbearable that that just seems like the easier way out. And it was a moment when I looked at my son, and I think I talked about this in my TED Talk, that I just realized that I had two choices that I could either give up or I could get up. Mm. And when I felt that pull to make a choice, it was like I had no other choice but to just push forward. And I had to... You know, do it with grace. I couldn't have all of these unrealistic expectations because you never really know what grief can hold for you. So you have to give yourself a lot of grace and a lot of self care and self love. But it was even making just, you know, one step in the right direction. Like, yay, I got up and I took a shower today. (laughs) You know, like that's a win or I went grocery shopping or what have you. So early on, it was just so complex and there were so many different other changes and losses that I was grieving that once the fog lifted, I was close to two years out before I feel like and people would people who saw me and I started, you know, really putting in work to build everything that I'm doing today, about a year and a half, but I was on autopilot, you know, I was just kind of going through the motions. But when I was truly consciously aware of what I was doing to make myself better, I'm pretty sure I was almost close to two years out.
0: Wow. So, I know you're helping many other people today to kind of walk through this process. Is there a process? I know you're saying that, you know, for every person, it's a little bit different, right? But how do you step into guiding someone through that grieving process?
1: Well, You know, it's funny, you even said this to me along my entrepreneurial journey, (laughs) because you are a marketing and brand strategist. (laughs) You said to me, Karen, who is your target audience? What did I say? Everybody, everybody's been through something. And you said, no, 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 you have to drill it down. Who is your target audience? And, you know, I pushed back. I had a lot of resistance when anybody would ask that of me as I was trying to create these solutions. And then it hit me. And I mean, maybe, maybe a couple months ago, I realized, you know what it is? because it was right before I launched my program, Heal Forward, I realized that the difference between the people who I can serve and who I can help and show them, you know, what worked for me, they're the people who don't want to give up. That's it. You realize I am not going to be a victim. I am not going to let anger win. You know, I thought about it. This man who killed my husband, and it's still an open case, so we don't know who it is five years later, but he could have killed more than one person that night if I decided that I was going to give up. So what was in me was my desire to keep going, even if I only had a little bit of a flame that was left to be, you know, ignited. That's all you need. And so really what happens is you have to have that initial desire. Now that doesn't mean that you're, you know, not going to spend days in the closet or like, you know, eating Ben and Jerry's or what have you. You're going to have those days where you're not going to be able to get up or do anything, but that's okay because grief is exhausting. So it's really what I try to do is offer, okay, what worked for me? If you have this mindset, great this is going to work for you. If you don't, I'm sorry. It's not because it all starts with your mind. But once you have that mindset, it really is about healthy self-care habits. It's about taking care of your body. I didn't realize how much the psychological was intertwined with your physical, with your biological, right? Mm -hmm. So you can actually eat superfoods that will combat things like depression and stress and anxiety. And if you're conscious of that, then it helps to balance out the toll that grief is already taking on your body. You know, we talked about sleep, but really it's exhausting. And so if you allow yourself to get adequate sleep and you're eating right. And then the other thing is you're not just taking care of your body, but you're taking care of your mind. So are you feeding yourself? And that's why you see on my Instagram so much inspirational stuff, because it's not just that I feel it, but I want to help feed it to other people. So it's just as important what you're eating as, you know, I like to call it your soul food. What are you really intaking in your mind and in your heart?
0: Right. Makes so much sense No, <laughs> yeah. Kind of tying everything together. So you became known as the grief consultant, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, speak publicly. And as I shared a minute ago, you did a great TED talk, which I'll share up in the show notes for everyone listening. And you've spoken at large events like inbound and others. And I was reading this recent Forbes article that you're featured in and you shared that most employees actually shy away from talking about grief at work. Mm -hmm. And I was curious to know, you know, why so many people struggle to be transparent about what's happening, right? With their coworkers and with their managers.
1: You know, there's a couple of reasons. One is it's just awkward it is like talking about grief is so awkward. And you know this from anybody who you've wanted to be there for, right. no matter how close you are. You're just, it could be family or it could be a friend. You're thinking, I don't really know what to say. And then we get paralyzed by fear and we don't say anything. But then if you're the griever, a lot of times, and this is what I felt most, I didn't want to be a burden to other people. You know, I didn't want to be the Debbie Downer and I didn't want people to pity me. So it's on both sides of this. Now, that's what I realized was that, well, this is harmful for everybody. You know, not only are we forcing grievers to be robotic at work, which then creates suppression, which ultimately manifests itself in unhealthy ways. But we're also treating each other like you're not human and that you don't go through something. And then we're losing the empathy and we're not, connected to one another anymore, which then creates a whole bunch of societal issues, right? Right. And so I think that it starts with the fact that we in the workplace, we've just kind of been trained to leave your personal stuff at the door. And so it is going to be a shift in mindset, which is why I wanted to create these solutions. But this is what I found. I was so fired up to just you know, cure grief in the workplace. That's what I kept telling myself, I'm going to cure grief in the workplace, I'm going to take this, you know, I'm going to teach them how to talk and support and productivity, I just had it totally painted, I knew what I was going to do. But I realized that it's not just about these isolated grief incidents, which it's important that we're there for one another. But it really is what kind of cultures are we creating in general? Because what I found through so many different studies of positive psychology and the Center for Positive Organizations in Michigan, the University of Michigan, they're saying that if we just made compassion and empathy part of our day-to-day if we just treated each other, if we interacted with these innate human behaviors, then when a grief situation comes up, we're already ready. It's not awkward because you already have that level of connection with the people who you work with. You know, you already respect one another and care for one another. So when you see them going through it, you know what pain feels like and you want to reach out and do something to help alleviate their suffering. So although I do talk a lot about grief, and I want to educate leaders on how they can be more empathic in those situations. It's a broader scope now, because we really just need to make sure that compassion and empathy are built into business practices. So you have a flourishing organization. And like I said before, then that's when it becomes easier to deal with those more emotionally delicate situations.
0: Right. I love actually, I feel like it is your inbound talk when you actually said that Everybody you work with is exactly like you. We're all human. Yes. I loved that's dead on true, especially in a time like this, right? We all are so divisive in our politics and our religion and in every facet, but your point that, you know, we can all empathize because we all know what pain feels like Mm -hmm. is so true.
1: And I normally start off workshops, having everybody close their eyes. And I just ask a list of questions. Like, have you ever experienced any of these losses or changes? Mm -hmm. Honestly, Stephen, by the second question, everybody's hand is raised. Right, And then when they open their eyes and they look around and they realize, well, yeah, I don't even know what people around me are going through. It just shatters, you know, anything that keeps us isolated. It just helps people to realize, no, we are all connected through our pain and our struggle. And that is why it's our social responsibility to talk about it more, because that's how we help each other through it.
0: Right. So how do we make this practical, right? How do you motivate employers, especially small business owners, to create this workplace that's more caring and welcoming.
1: Well, why is it important? That's really what it comes down to. Because a lot of times when you're thinking about your business, you're just driven by the numbers. But there are people behind those numbers, aren't they? Absolutely. (laughs) So you have it. You know, My favorite Richard Branson quote is, if you take care of your employees, your employees are going to take care of your business. And again, there are countless studies out there through so much research that just shows. Here's a great one. Google, they did a research study called Project Aristotle. And when they started on this research study, all they were looking for is why are our highly successful teams, why are they so good? Like what makes them different? They didn't just start on this quest of empathy. They found empathy when they were looking at high performers. and <laughs> So like this is, there's a proof in the pudding. Isn't that the same? <laughs> yep. Yeah. And so what happens is you can break it down into hard skills that help to build empathy. When you think of empathy or compassion, you're like, oh, it's a little too mushy. You know, how do we know that that helps? How do we know that we can quantify this? Well, if you break it down into things like how do we build trust? Well, you build trust through empathic listening and cooperative conversation. That doesn't just benefit you, as I mentioned before, in a time of tragedy, it benefits you in staff meetings. Because now that you have empathy there and you are creating this collaborative conversation, you're getting the best out of your people. You're creating a psychologically safe space where you're allowing more innovation to come and collaboration and problem solving, and you're continuing to move the needle forward. You know, another example of this is in coaching conversations. If somebody messes up and you have to have a coaching conversation with them, if the leader is attacking them and criticizing them, well, what's going to happen to that person? they're going to shut down. Yep. You're creating a culture of fear. But instead, if you approach that coaching conversation with compassion, you know, if you're like, hey, this is what's going on. Let's have a conversation about that. They feel safe with you. They know that they may have to take some risks as they continue to grow professionally, but that you're going to be by their side to make sure they succeed at those risks. And so that's where you start to see more of the quantitative data. It's not just that you're expressing empathy. It's that you're building in these hard skills with your leaders, which then trickles down to the rest of the organization. And most importantly, Stephen, you're not just giving this as training, but you're holding each other accountable, right? You Have to hold one another accountable, or it's just going to be another training workshop that's, you know, in your desk, or what have you that you did, you know, a workbook that you got at this great seminar? No. And what was really interesting, you mentioned that I spoke at inbound Inbound is put on by HubSpot, which is like the biggest marketing, you know, software system guru that you can find. And so when I was invited to speak there, I thought, well, why do they want me to talk about culture? (laughs) Why do they want me to talk about empathy? Even that
0: trying to take care of people. (laughs) Um
1: find out. Now this is me there at the conference. I'm sharing an Uber with this guy who happens to work for HubSpot. He asks me, you know, if I'm there as a participant or a speaker and I tell him what my topic is about. And he said that they used to have this acronym that was their organizational values. And the acronym was HART. And each, as you know, each letter stands for something E used to stand for Efficient, but they recently changed it to Empathetic. They want to be an empathetic organization because they see the value of showing your people that you care. And so although, again, as I mentioned, you have to have that accountability, we know that it starts with leadership. And really the way to get everybody on board is if you communicate that this is important to the organization and if it's built into the organizational values and the training then is supporting the organizational values, that's where you see the culture shift.
0: Wow. Appreciate you sharing this, Karen. You're opening my mind up. (laughs) That's (laughs) (laughs) that's right so before we start wrapping up here there are a couple other things i wanted to touch on right
1: yeah
0: it's been nearly five years now since richard's past is it any easier now for you to approach the idea of intimate relationships are you able to date again like in terms of your own journey your personal journey is that something that becomes easier with time
1: you know I don't think that it necessarily becomes easier. First, as it pertains to grief, we never stop grieving. We just learn how to manage it in our lives. So, you know, I will always miss my husband, love my husband. He's very much a part of our lives. You know, my son and I talk about him. He wants to know more things about his dad. So he's very, very present in our life. And so if I do, date and marry again, it would be with somebody who understands, you know, that Richard is still a part of our lives. That's just how it is. You know, it'll be a very unique person. I will say that who <laughs> will be able to deal with that. But the pain, the pain attacks will say, and I've only had one true pain attack, but there are the grief waves. Let me rephrase because the pain attack was real. You can see the description of that in my TED talk, but the grief waves are consuming. And that's when you feel like you're drowning. And those don't last as long now mm-hmm. because I've just You know, I've done the work and honestly for me as a believer, what really anchored me was that I'm going to see my husband again. So, you know, I just have to do what I'm supposed to while I'm here and we'll be together in eternity. But as far as, you know, dating, I just opened my mind and my heart up to that about a year and a half ago, I just said, Hey, God, here's the thing. Because <laughs> I talked to him real. I'm like, uh, here's the thing. If you want me to get married, <laughs> I said, if you want me to get married again, I don't want to date. I don't want to have to go through all of the craziness that's out here now. You know, it's been 10 years since I've been on the dating scene. And so much has changed. And I'm a mom. So I'm also a different person. You know, I've grown so much. So You know, I just I'm letting him take the wheel as they say, Jesus, take the wheel on that one. (laughs) My focus is really just to make sure that, you know, my son sees his mom taking something terrible and turning it into something good and to help others get more comfortable talking about grief so that we can create a compassion movement. So that's really where my focus is right now.
0: And so you teed me up into my other question here is, (laughs) (laughs) as a single mom, are you able to raise your son in a way that feels right to you, but also honors the values of your husband and how he may have wanted to instill those in him?
1: Mm, You know, the good thing about really the last year of my husband's life was we were such a cohesive team. And Had so many conversations just about life. We were together five years. We were married for two. But there was this crazy shift that just happened in his last year that allowed us to get so close that I am confident in the decisions that I'm making as far as parenting my son because we talked about so many things that were important to us. You know, so many things that were great or not great. You know, in our childhood and how we wanted to pass those things on or protect our children from that. But most importantly, I saw this post very early on in my widow journey. And it said, if you raise your child with God, then you're never a single
0: parent. Amen. Wow. Yeah.
1: And so even the day, so my son was with Richard every single day from the time he was born. He was never in daycare. He was always with his dad everywhere he went. So I feared the next morning when I had to tell him, daddy's not coming home because he was only two and a half. And that, that's where it started. That's where my parenting with God started because I didn't know what to say and I was scared. And so when he walked into the room, right before I opened my mouth, I said, Lord, just give me the words and let me know what you want me to say. And so, you know, my son ended up asking and I told him, I said, daddy lives with God now. And he said, okay, and he turned around and he was okay. <laughs> and so before any difficult conversation, or really, honestly, any conversation, I just go to God and say, you know, please give me the right words because I can't do this on my own. And I feel like my son makes it really easy to be a mom. He really does. He's a good kid. People tell me all the time, oh, you're doing a great job. I'm like, oh, that's the Lord right there. Because <laughs> you can only take so much credit, you know, for how great your kid is, you know, that the God that the Lord has just put something really special in him. So. So.
0: that's awesome. Karen, you've moved me tonight, man. This has been a great conversation. I want to, I'm sure our Nation will value. I appreciate you being so open and honest and vulnerable to the work that you're doing and helping others who are grieving. God bless you.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: Before I let you go, our Blazer Nation loves to hear from all our featured guests on resources that you use on a day-to-day. So would love to ask if there are any good books that you've read that you think may be a value to those listening.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll give, I'm going to give three because I, I never read before. I was the person who would like flip through magazines and look at the captions on the pictures. (laughs) (laughs) I became obsessed with reading after Richard died. At first I was obsessed reading about heaven and then I was obsessed just because I became an entrepreneur. So I found a lot of self-development books that it's interesting. They speak to both areas of my life always. So there are three. The first one is Growth Mindset by Carol Dweck. It really helped me not just as an entrepreneur, because you go through so many downs, you know, they talk about ups and downs. I'm like, there are a lot more downs than ups on this journey. But it also talks about not as from an entrepreneur mindset, but from a parent, you know, with your children and anything. So Growth Mindset is phenomenal. Also, Life's Golden Ticket by Brendan Burchard, which I think It helps people to understand that you may not always get a second chance, but when you do, don't take it for granted. And I feel like this jolt in my life gave me a new perspective. It's like I'm living a whole new life and I really, I appreciate my new perspective and the book helped me to get to that place. And then the last one is one that I'm still working through and it's called The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And not everybody may be ready to receive how deep that book is about being conscious, And, you know, living in this state of enlightenment, but it gave me perspective on how I was able to get through such dark times and how I am able to still get through a lot of ups and downs, you know, as it pertains to the grief journey and being an entrepreneur. So those are my three favorite. (laughs)
0: Wow. Love it. Last question for you. What's one action you'd want our Blazing Nation to take that will help them to blaze their trail?
1: Just whatever your passion is, or whatever you feel moved to do, you know, an impact on the world, just take it one step at a time. I think a lot of times we can set big lofty goals and expectations. And if we don't reach them when we want to, we just get feel totally defeated. And then we stop. But if we just know that you're taking one step at a time, you're always making progress. And that's what helps. It helps personally and professionally.
0: Erin, thank you so much. How can we stay connected to you?
1: Well, you already know through my Instagram, so you can find me on Instagram, but also my website has a lot of resources there. A couple of the books that I mentioned, some videos as well for myself and others. And then you can always connect with me, send me a message. And that's karenmilsap.com with two L's.
0: And your handle on Insta?
1: I have two. So if you want to stick to the business side, it's the Grease Consultant. But if you want to see more of my personal journey, it's kmix
0: with two eyes. Got it. Karen Millsap, thank you so much. Thank you, Stephen. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Trailblazers podcast. I'll be posting links to all of today's book recommendations and links mentioned on our show notes page at tbpod.com. If today was your first time listening to the Trailblazers podcast, I just want to extend a warm Trailblazers welcome to you. We're so happy to have you here and we encourage you to go ahead and hit that subscribe button in your favorite podcast app go ahead and browse through some of our past episodes to keep the knowledge flowing. If you're a fan of the podcast and today's content, and you're maybe already subscribed to the podcast, please continue to share and invite your friends, your family, or colleagues to listen to an episode that you think might impact them most. We believe that someone listening to these inspiring stories will be moved